The comments, conclusions, findings, and opinions expressed by contributors of this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of the Department of Defense or the United States government. The use of trade names or commercial entities is for identification only and does not imply endorsement by the Department of Defense or the United States government. Welcome back to the Tactical Combat Casualty Care Podcast. This is Monty from the Joint Trauma System and the Committee on Tactical Combat Casualty Care. On this edition, we will review part two of the significant changes of the TC3 guidelines as a result of the 2016-17 comprehensive review. This part will cover additions and new guidelines, whereas part one covered simply the shifts and changes to existing text within the guidelines. As mentioned in the last episode, this is the most robust and comprehensive change in the TC3 guidelines since the initial publication in 1996. While the guidelines have been changed and updated many times over the last uh, couple decades, most of those changes were focused uh, on particular treatment strategies or equipment integration. The real reason and proximate causes for the changes was mostly medic demand. Uh, Medics, corpsmen, pararescuemen on the committee and throughout the DOD have expressed the need for a new TC3 knowledge product that is both more concise than previous products and is optimized for their use. So in that request came a request for the TC3 guidelines in abbreviated and algorithmic formats. Responding to those requirements pr- prompted a comprehensive review of the existing guidelines and allowed a synchronization with TC3 training methodologies currently employed. So the three methodologies for this change was either the change is primarily tactical rather than medical in nature, or the change is a relatively minor modification of existing TC3 guidelines, or the change is one that's straightforward and generally non-contentious. When you see the guidelines in text, when you see blue text, that indicates unchanged current wording that shifted to a different location or sequence in the guidelines, whereas red text indicates changes to the current wording or newly added wording in the guidelines. So the first big change was adding established security parameter to the beginning of TFC. Previously, the guidelines did not address security as the top tactical concern in the transition to tactical field care as we do return to fire and that kind of thing in care into fire. It's important to recognize that the guidance must conform to common infantry operations in which security is the top priority during any transition or activity. Tactical security, situational awareness, and being prepared to engage the enemy at any time is the top priority the majority of the time during all phases of a tactical operation, especially when establishing any kind of defensive perimeter, uh, locations such as CCPs and things like that. This activity is also kind of synonymous with scene safe and EMS and EMT training. Um, the first measure of establishing a, a casualty collection point or a CCP is the establishment of a security perimeter. CCP security perimeter is also critical to the triage and movement of casualties in and out of that site. So our, our first major change was establishing of a new first paragraph in tactical field care, which is line one, establish a security perimeter in accordance with unit tactical standard operating procedures and or battle drills and maintain tactical situational awareness. Previously, the guidelines did not specifically address triage and simply recommended disarmament of casualties with an altered mental status. Casualties with an altered mental status may be a threat if armed with an active weapon system. Additionally, such a casualty with a radio system can be hazardous to the mission as well. Also, though not necessarily the medic's individual role, the reallocation of mission equipment or sensitive items often happen while casualties are being triaged and treatment being initiated. So both casualty treatment and continuation of the mission are imperative to the unit, so we determine the need to address this in the guidelines. So the new paragraph 2 in tactical field care is triage casualties as required, 
And then casualties with an ultra mental status should immediately have weapons cleared and secured, communication secured, and sensitive mission items redistributed. The previous guidelines recommended that if application of hemostatic dressings, be that combat gauze, kaido gauze, or salix gauze, were ineffective at controlling the hemorrhage, that dressing should be removed, repacked, or additional dressings may be added. This is not the case for XDAT, which was added last year. With XDAT, once the compressible sponges have been injected into the wound cavity and have expanded, they're going to be very difficult to remove and certainly not something to attempt in the field. XDAT removal should be done in a surgical setting. If XDAT has been used, additional options are to add more XDAT to the wound cavity or to apply a hemostatic dressing over the site. The new addition to paragraph 3b is a note that XDAT is not to be removed in the field, but additional XDAT, other hemostatic adjuncts, or trauma dressings may be applied over it. The previous guidelines directed the determination if a tourniquet was needed, but that did not really state what to do. Reassessment is critical to all tourniquet applications. While it might be obvious that an unneeded tourniquet should be removed, the guidelines did not really state as such before. So the changes are rewarding in the tourniquet assessment line. In paragraph 6b, we added, if the reassessment determines that the prior tourniquet was not needed, then remove the tourniquet and note time of removal on the TC3 casualty card. In the previous wording contained in the bleeding paragraph, there was a recommendation to check the distal pulse if possible. The pulse needs to be checked after the tourniquet has been applied to ensure that it has been tightened sufficiently to eliminate the pulse on any tourniquet. The only time that this step should be omitted is if the distal extremity has been lost to a traumatic amputation. Previous wording caused some confusion, so that has now changed. In paragraph 5b, the additional text, if there is no traumatic amputation, a distal pulse should be checked. We found the guidelines should clarify tourniquet documentation expectations to include first application time, application of second tourniquets, replacement of high and tight tourniquets, and or tourniquet removals or conversions. So in the new uh, paragraph 6D, we, uh, we modified the wording to expose and clearly mark all tourniquets with the time of tourniquet application, reapplication, or conversion. Note tourniquets removed and times of application and removal on the TC3 casualty card. Use a permanent marker to mark on the tourniquet and the casualty card. The previous guidelines prompted the initiation of IVIO access, if indicated, but did not really provide the indications. In contrast, the previous guidelines provided specific indications or criteria in other areas such as tourniquets, TXA, fluid resuscitation, and pain management. Though somewhat obvious, the guidelines need the consistency in stating indications for its various actions. So, in addition to paragraph 7, will now read, start an 18-gauge IV or saline lock if indicated intravenous or intraosseous IO access indicated if the casualty is in hemorrhagic shock or at a significant risk of shock or if the casualty needs IV IO medications. The previous guidelines stated that TXA should be administered as soon as possible but did not specify an infusion rate. The TXA instructions state that it should be infused as a slow IV infusion over 10 minutes. The guidelines state ASAP which can be confused with the IV push infusion. So we added the wording to paragraph 8 to administer 1 gram of tranexamic acid in 100cc normal saline or lactator ringers as soon as possible but not later than 3 hours after injury. And then when given, the TXA should be administered over 10 minutes by IV infusion. The previous guidelines recommended performing a rapid field test of visual acuity but did not specify recording or what to do with the information obtained. Similar to changes in mental status, the results of visual acuity prior to treatment may be important for later treatment therapies and points of references for surgeons down the road. So in the penetrating eye trauma paragraph, we simply added, 
in the in the first line, perform a rapid field test of visual acuity and document the findings. We significantly expanded the tactical field care communications paragraph. Previously, the guidelines only addressed interaction with the patient. However, TFC communication should also include the medic's interaction with the tactical unit leadership, as well as evacuation platforms and potentially the next level of care if possible. The medic must pass critical patient information to the leadership for them to initiate evacuation processes, as well as unit accountability. These are important factors in assisting the leadership that they submit a proper nine-line medevac request or a missed report or whatever is required in that particular theater. The information in a missed report is essential for the medic uh, communicating with the receiving facility. So even if the medic is not directly talking to them, the information that he is relating to his leadership and through the medevac request process is information getting to the receiving facility. So the new communication paragraph, first line is A, and it's, it stays the same. is communicate with the casualty if possible, encourage, reassure, and explain care. The new part B is communicate with tactical leadership as soon as possible and throughout casualty treatment as needed. Provide leadership with casualty status and evacuation requirements to assist with coordination of evacuation assets. Line C is communicate with the evacuation system to arrange TACAVAC. Line D, communicate with medical providers on the evacuation asset if possible and relay mechanism of injury, injury sustained, signs and symptoms, and treatments rendered. Provide additional information as appropriate. Also a significant change was the addition of a prepare for evacuation paragraph into tactical field care. The process of transitioning casualties from TFC to TACAVAC can take on many scenarios including aircraft, ground vehicles, or watercraft. Previous guidelines did not highlight key measures that are common to all evacuation platforms. The TC3 curriculum and the PH2S textbook cover the evacuation categories, nine-line medevac requests, and the TACAVAC rules of thumb, but all of our TC3 products did not address the basics such as securing loose dressings, straps, casualty marking, and a patient handover to the next level of care or flight medic, ground medic, evacuation medic, or whatever that might be. So we added a, a completely new paragraph of prepare for evacuation and tactical field care, which includes A, complete and secure casualty care documentation to the casualty, B, secure all loose ends of bandages and wraps, C, secure hypothermia prevention wraps, blankets, or straps, D, secure litter straps as required, consider additional padding for long evacuations, E, provide instructions to ambulatory patients as needed, F, Stage casualties for evacuation in accordance with the unit standard operating procedures. And G, maintain security at the evacuation point in accordance with unit standard operating procedures. So we didn't want to try to get too deep into all the different various scenarios or into unit level SOPs, but try to have a generalized prepare, prepare for evacuation that most units can, can use in their, their operations. The next big change was in uh, TACAVAC and adds a new paragraph to the beginning of it, of uh, transition of care. The previous guidelines did not address the transition or handover from TFC to TACAVAC. In this revision, we wanted the guidelines to highlight key measures that are common to all evacuation platforms, whether air, ground, or watercraft. Kind of like the prepare for evacuation in TFC, the curriculum and the PHDS textbook covered evacuation categories and the evac request and the TACAVAC rules of thumb did not address specifically or adequately address the transition of care that outline the roles of the tactical unit evacuating the casualties or the roles of the personnel on the evacuation platform. Again, we did not try to overly specify down to unit SOPs as they take precedence and every evacuation method and platform has different requirements, but we did want to establish a common method of transition. So now the first paragraph in TACAVAC is 1. Transition of care. 
A, the tactical force personnel should establish evacuation point security and stage casualties for evacuation. B, tactical force personnel slash medics should communicate patient information and status to TACAVAC personnel as clearly as possible. Minimum information communicated should include stable or unstable, injuries identified, and treatments rendered. C, TACAVAC personnel should stage casualties onto the evacuation platform as required. D, secure casualties in the evacuation platform in accordance with unit policies, platform configurations, and safety requirements. And E, TACAVAC medical personnel should reassess casualties, reevaluate all injuries, and previous interventions. Smoke inhalation and or CO2 poisoning often accompany burns, especially those resulting from vehicle fires or enclosed spaces. Since O2 is generally not commonly available until the TACAVAC phase on evacuation platforms, we determined that adding symptomatic smoke inhalation injury assessment as an indication for aggressive airway management and supplemental oxygen into the TACAVAC phase. So in TACAVAC paragraph 5E, we added the line, if known or suspected smoke inhalation, monitor airway aggressively, provide O2 if available, and initiate entitled CO2 monitoring if available. So with these edits, we have a completely rearranged and prioritized paragraphs within both tactical field care and TACAVAC. So the rearranged priority of paragraphs in tactical field care now go, one, establish security perimeter and triage as required, Two, triage as required, and the casualties with an ultramental status and weapons and that kind of thing. Uh, three, massive hemorrhage. Four, airway management. Five, respiration slash breathing. Six, circulation. Six A is bleeding. Six B, intravenous access. Six C, tranexamic acid. Six D, fluid resuscitation. Seven, hypothermia prevention. Eight, penetrating eye trauma. Nine, monitoring. 10, pain management and analgesia, 11, antibiotics, 12, inspect and dress known wounds, 13, check for additional wounds, 14, burns, 15, splint fractures and recheck pulses, 16, communication, 17, documentation of care, 18, CPR, and 19, prepare for evacuation. The rearranged paragraphs in TACAVAC follow paragraph 1, transition of care, 2, massive hemorrhage, 3, airway management, 4, respiration slash breathing, 5. Circulation, 5A, bleeding, 5B, intravenous access, 5C, tranexamic acid, 5D, fluid resuscitation, 6. Traumatic brain injury, 7. Hypothermia prevention, 8. Penetrating eye trauma, 9. Monitoring, 10. Analgesia, 11. Antibiotics, 12. Inspect and dress known wounds, 13. Check for additional wounds, 14. Burns, 15. Splint fractures and recheck pulses, 16. Communication, 17, CPR and TACAVAC, and 18, documentation of care. So even with this comprehensive review and all these changes and updates, we still found several areas that we're going to uh, focus and potentially make some changes on in the near future. So we're probably going to do a complete uh, comprehensive review of the airway management uh, portions of, uh, of both tactical field care and TACAVAC. Uh, we're going to consider a normal tensive fluid resuscitation option for patients with controlled bleeding, which will probably necessitate an entire relook of the uh, uh, fluid resuscitation protocol. Uh, we're going to do a focused review of all tranexamic acid or TXA uh, guidelines and considerations from different dosing to uh, how, how many doses and that kind of thing. And then we're going to relook uh, head injuries and how to how to integrate uh, TBI and the DIVBIC uh, recommendations into the TC3 guidelines. 
Now that we've done this comprehensive review and, and before we start jumping into some of the future changes, some of the future products you're going to see coming out as a direct result of this major change is the abbreviated or bulletized TC3 guidelines, a TC3 algorithm format, which both of those will, will be formatted into a TC3 handbook. We're going to relook the TC3 critical task review. So these guideline changes will be published in the Journal of Special Operations Medicine, as are all major TC3 updates. Also, you can always find the latest TC3 information at our website at uh, www.cotccc.com or kotc.com. Also, please feel free to provide us field feedback, ask questions, or prompt discussions on that website uh, in the feedback forum. So this concludes this edition of the TC3 podcast. Please return for our next edition or subscribe to your podcast app or check back on the website. As always, stay safe out there. Continue saving lives on the battlefield, wherever that battlefield or deployed setting or street is in the world for you. 